Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast that will teach you to take your Shopify store and turn it into a business-growing sales machine. It has the latest marketing, email, sales, SEO, and social media advice, and also has strategies and tips from the experts without fluff. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and an education partner with the Shopify-approved course, 1,000 Sales and Beyond. He's the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick has over 13 years experience in digital marketing from PPC and SEO through to digital transformation of businesses. He's helped hundreds of brands from startup Shopify stores through to international enterprises that operate in hundreds of countries. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interview the experts to help you in your journey to success. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Now, here's your host, Nick Truman. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For those of you who haven't tuned in in the last couple of months, my name's Nick and I personally want to welcome you to the podcast. I am now the new host. I'm also the CEO here at Just Ask Parker, which is a task-based marketing agency for Shopify stores. So if you want to check us out, go and check out justaskparker.com. And a few other quick announcements just before we dive into today's content. Firstly, I hope you're well. There's obviously a lot going on in the world at the moment. There's a huge amount of unknowns and terrible things happening. The death count seems to be rising from this virus. And so I just hope wherever you are, you're staying safe and keeping well. It's incredibly hot in the UK at the time I'm recording this. I'm currently in my air-conditioned office, which I'm incredibly happy about, given that it's about 35, 36 degrees Celsius outside, which I think in Fahrenheit is somewhere over 100 So it's incredibly hot here at the moment, and uh, I know that's pushing across Europe as well, so probably lots of other people in the same position. A couple of little bits and pieces just to run through. If you've not subscribed to our podcast, please do. Um, We'll be releasing these every single Friday now. We're releasing them Friday morning in the UK. Some of them go out slightly later, but generally Friday morning in the UK, which means it will reach the US long before you guys wake up and get into the office in the morning. It's available on iTunes, Spotify, all different places like that. So if you've not subscribed yet, but you have been listening in or if you're listening to a few episodes today, please do go and hit the subscribe button so you can keep in touch with everything that is going on. We've got a few things coming up in the next few months I'm incredibly excited about. Some I can talk about and some I can't. We've got a, a series on SEO coming up in the next few months. So stay tuned to hear about that. Um, the reason we're doing a series is that we're going to have different people on the podcast, some from my business here in London and some from other companies talking about how they've got to the top of Google, what they've done with SEO, and then also some really, really specific tips. So we're even thinking of breaking up that SEO series. So the first one will be about keywords, the second one will be about content, etc. So tuning in each week, you'd have a huge list of things you can go away and do to your own store, your own site, um, or the business you work for to go and make a difference quite quickly. We're currently in the process of revamping Just Ask Parker. That's going to include some new pages, uh, either on our website or on the Winning with Shopify site itself. So there'll be some more resources available for you all. Part of my involvement in the business from early June was to start bringing some more resources, some more insights to help everybody grow their businesses. We've also got a free exclusive white paper strategy guide, whatever you want to call it, whatever they decide to name it, coming out in a few months' time. I can't say too much about it now, but we're going to have a whole series of podcasts, I think, on this with some exclusive access codes to get access to this document early. There's going to be some global industry learnings available on there. And again, anybody listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast will get access to that in advance. So uh, stay tuned for that. I appreciate this is the longest introduction I've ever done. 
I try to keep this kind of stuff short, but I keep getting told off um, by some of the team here at Winning with Shopify and Just Ask Parker. They keep telling me off and not plugging all the amazing things we're doing. A lot of them are free as well. So you feel free to go and plug into any of that sort of stuff. But without further ado, I'm going to get into today's content. So today, I don't have any guests with me. It's just myself talking. But as you've probably seen from the title, I'm going to be talking about how to create a stable profit-driving store. So I'm going to be sharing some of the learnings that I've picked up working with high street retail brands all over the world on their SEO, PPC, email, strategies, choosing platforms, all that sort of stuff I've done a huge amount over the last sort of 15 years. And so I'm going to be sharing some of that advice today, some of the main pitfalls I find businesses falling into, some of the things to be aware of, and also some quick wins to make some revenue quickly and get some new customers in, because that's the aim of the game at the end of the day. What I'm going to do first, um, there's going to be sort of five different parts to this podcast, but what I'm going to talk about first, which I think is the most important thing, is the strategy and philosophy that I've created over the last few years behind how I think a retail business should be growing online. And obviously, every Shopify store in the world has a cart. They're an e-commerce retail business of some description. You might be B2B, B2C. But either way, you've got some sort of retail element to you. Now, the way I normally imagine this, or I would draw on the whiteboard if we're all in a big workshop together right now, and I'm thinking of writing a book on this as well. So if you think I should do that, please drop me a note or mention it in the Facebook group and I'll, uh, I'll try and crack on with that if I can. But my philosophy is that e-commerce marketing is a little bit like a wheel. And in the UK, we have these things called water wheels. And initially, the idea of these water wheels is that water would come down from one height to another in the process, splashing against the big wheel to make the wheel turn. Now that the wheel is turning, everything else works off that wheel. So that motion that you've created with this wheel turning, so water's falling on one side of this wheel, making it turn. And then in the middle of that wheel, there's normally a, a sort of big bar that comes off. Apologies if I'm losing anybody with my basic engineering knowledge, but there'll be a... <laughs> some sort of bar coming off that that will twist and now you've got motion. So what we would often do with water wheels in the UK going back 200, 300, 500 years is these water wheels would then create motion and would use that motion to do things like to grind up vegetables and fruit and things we had grown to create something like flour. So flour is created by grinding certain, uh, certain plants and apologies, I have no idea what kind of plant is not my area expertise at all. But the idea is water hits the side of this wheel and this wheel starts to turn and everything flows from that wheel. I might try and do a diagram as well at some point. So if you want more information about Nick's water wheel, we'll call it, then feel free to reach out. But using that example in e-commerce, because obviously the world has moved on a huge amount in the last few hundred years. Using that example in e-commerce means that the way I see it, it, it working is that the water hitting the wheel, the new water hitting the wheel to create motion, that, in my opinion, is the new customers that you acquire. And I'm going to keep coming back to this as I go through the four other points I've got um, to talk about today. But the idea being that every time you get a new customer in, that new customer enters this wheel. And what happens in marketing, or certainly in e-commerce, is this wheel keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I'll explain as we go through the problems most e-commerce brands face and why this wheel becomes so important to them. But the idea being that new customers join the wheel, the wheel expands. And the wheel itself, the main bulk of mass within that wheel, which is slightly different to a water wheel, because a water wheel stays the same size. But the, the difference with this is that this wheel will expand and grow. So every time some more water was to hit my wheel, my wheel would grow and expand. And it's the idea being that if you've got 100 customers in your email database now and you gain 10 more, you've now got 110 customers. 
So the 100 were already spinning around this wheel, a bit like a cycle. So they're going around this cycle, buying products, viewing products, receiving newsletters, emails, etc. You've gained 10 more customers. You now have 110 customers going around this wheel. So new customers are super important in anything that you do. The problem is a lot of these customers, a bit like water, fall out the side of this wheel. So what happens is you might make 100 sales from new customers and then only five or 10 come back and buy a second time or more often than not, and this is part of the problem, is none of them will come back and buy a second time. And people completely miss the point of this. So if you don't have a wheel, if you're just a one-stop shop for, say, sunglasses, people are only going to buy sunglasses once every so many months or even years um, in some scenarios. But people aren't going to buy sunglasses every single week. And if you only sell sunglasses, then the chances are your average order value is only ever going to be as high as the average price of product. So you might only make $20 or $30 per order. You've also used up a huge amount of effort I'm going to talk about how to do this in a second as well. You've used a huge amount of effort getting that customer in in the first place. So it does start to seem a little bit stupid when you take a, you know, a bit silly when you take a step back and you think, do you know what? We've put all of this time and energy in to get all these customers here. They spend $20 or $30 and we probably spent $20 or $30 on marketing just to get them here. So now we've got to provide the products and everything else. We're actually going to make a loss. And what we're not thinking is how do we get 20 orders from each customer? We're just thinking well, we only need one order from each customer or let's just get more customers in and they focus all their attention on new customer acquisition. And most brands I've worked with, and it honestly is most, they are just so focused on getting new customers in, they forget about their existing customers. So I'm going to talk today, my next four points are going to be around how do you get customers in? What are the two main things I think you need to get new customers in? And then two ways you can get repeat orders to keep getting those customers buying from you. So again, back to my water wheel example, what we're going to aim for with the rest of this podcast is to explain how you can go from 100 customers to 110. Because 10% growth of new customers is quite easy. But if people are only buying once, then you don't have that 100 in the first place. Every time 10 new customers arrive, you're going from zero to 10. And then they buy once and they're already gone because you know they're not going to come back. So the aim of this is how do we get more people into that wheel in the top? So we're not just gaining 10 customers, we're gaining hundreds, if not thousands of new customers. And then how do we get them buying again and again and again from us? So on to my second point today, which is my one of two about how to gain customers. I'm going to talk a little bit about USPs. So this is the holistic element. And then I'm going to talk about the very specific elements. So USPs. So to tell you a quick story, I went to a Shopify meetup about eight or nine years ago. And I saw somebody explaining the platform. They interviewed a few e-commerce stores. The guys running this event were called We Make Websites, who are now pretty good friends of ours. And we do quite a few projects with them in my main business at Spec. And I looked at the platform and thought, this is easy. Anybody can run a Shopify store. And I'm sure I've probably got thousands of people who are going to listen to this podcast and have probably thought the same at some point. Wow, running an online store seems easy because they've been sold the Shopify dream. I left that meetup. And before I'd even got home, I'd already started looking on Alibaba, as in the, I'm sure a lot of you guys are using it for drop shipping or, you know, the supplier wholesale store based out in China. And you can buy from millions and millions of different sellers in China through Alibaba. Alibaba do all the transactions, etc. So I was already on Alibaba's website looking at what products to buy. And I then phoned my FD, who's also a relation of mine as well. So he talks straight to me, which I like. If he thinks it's a stupid idea, he'll say so quickly. And he's normally right. We'll chuck it in the bin and move on to the next idea. But he said, actually, you know, this has got some legs. You do all this marketing for your clients. Why don't you do it for yourself? And it made a lot of sense on, uh, on day one. Now, 
what happened next was that we looked for the right product. I didn't really care what the product was. We, we chose sunglasses and I started my own store. And I sort of launched it. And the whole time, my FD was saying to me, you need a USP, you need a USP. You've got to have something unique about you. Why would I come to you and not just go to one of these big mega online sunglasses stores? There's loads of people selling sunglasses. So the USP we settled on was that we were going to have wooden sunglasses, which wasn't very unique. We were going to offer free delivery, which wasn't very unique, and a whole range of other things that weren't very unique. You can probably tell that a couple of years after we launched the store, we decided to close it. It was too much work. And the biggest sum I hadn't really done was how many sunglasses I would have to sell as a one-time product. So again, as I mentioned earlier, people would only buy sunglasses once. So it's already failed the lifetime value growth of customer test. And the most I can probably sell a pair of sunglasses for is somewhere between $50 to $100. And even then, if I was selling them at $20, $20 for the marketing, $30 to cover the cost of the product, get it to the customer, etc. Take into account a few returns. I'm not really going to be making much money. I'm going to have to have huge volumes. The bigger the volumes, the more staff I'm going to have to employ and that kind of thing. We didn't have a USP. Counter to that, let me give an example of an online store and all the reasons that they don't have a USP, and then I'll come around to what their USP actually is and why they're doing so well here in the UK. So they sell other people's brands, and all the brands they sell, you can buy direct from their own websites. So they sell Nike, Adidas, you know, all the big, and apologies if I'm saying them completely differently to how you guys would say them in the US. I know my accent is very, very strange uh, compared, to, compared to the American you know, the American introduction we have on this podcast, but Nike and Adidas and examples, they're selling brands like that. You can buy the same products by going straight to Nike. You can sell the same products by going straight to Adidas, that sort of thing. So there's no USP there, really. You check the price, the price is pretty much the same. And actually with brand new, you know, the latest ranges, Nike and Adidas and Apple do the same. They will prescribe the exact price that the product needs to be sold at. So they will say this particular product has to be sold at $50 or £50. That's the price of this product. So they can't compete on price. They're the same price as Nike and Adidas. Nike and Adidas offer free next day delivery on everything. These guys offer it, but fail to deliver it sometimes. And so, well, not fail to deliver the product, but fail to deliver next day. So sometimes it's two days, three days, that sort of thing. The packaging from Nike and Adidas is much, much better than what this shop I'm describing sell the packaging in. So the actual packaging that they use is not as nice. It's in their own brands. So there's no real USP there. You could say that you can order multiple brands. So you could order Nike and Adidas from this store and then people can buy it. The reality is that's really, really weak. You know, I can do that on eBay, Amazon. I can do that at John Lewis, Walmart. I can go to all the different places and buy Nike and Adidas products together. I don't have to go to this one particular store. It's not unique at all. So where this store decided to differentiate, their sort of background is that they've been running for 140 years in London, here in the UK. They are a department store. And therefore, when you walk in the door of their physical shop, you get greeted at the door, you can order a free personal shopper service and all this sort of stuff. So there are some USPs, but how do we translate that on the internet? How do we translate some sort of, you know, bespoke service and that sort of thing? So what these guys decided to do is they said, well, do you know what? All the products we sell are high quality. They're all luxury products, super high quality. So they've decided now to offer double the warranty or guarantee that the manufacturer offers. Nobody else is willing to do that. In fact, a lot of their competitors might go bankrupt in the next two or three years. You know, certainly with coronavirus, there's loads of stores going bankrupt. These guys are absolutely fine financially. So they know that they're going to be around for the next 50 to 100 years, at least, if not longer. Therefore, they can quite comfortably offer that. So if you're looking to buy a 
you know, 200 pounds pair of trainers, actually, you don't really want to go directly to the trainer manufacturer anymore, because you'll only get a year's warranty, and that sort of thing. You'd rather wait an extra day or two to have it delivered at the same price, but get three or four years warranty on that product. I bought some products a couple of weeks ago from, again, a store here in the UK where I'm based. And one of the things they offered, and I didn't realize this until the product arrived, and I looked at the label when I, when I unwrapped it from the packaging. And the label said, lifetime guarantee, go on our website and register. So I went on the website, registered. And on the page I registered, there's some really good deals. So I bought some more products. So instantly, they've got me onto, which I'll come onto in a bit, they've got me onto a deal. But the lifetime warranty and guarantee on the products means that I was sort of sitting there thinking, if I just buy 30 t-shirts from these guys, I never need to buy a t-shirt ever again. And I checked how long they've been running for. They've been trading for 40 years. Um, their accounts seemed stable. There was no bad press about them. So their whole marketing strategy was incredibly good. And again, lifetime guarantee. They said, if anything goes wrong with this product, apart from misuse, so as long as I don't rip it, as long as I'm just washing it normally, if it starts to fade, stretch, if the material is not as soft as it used to be, they will replace it for free. And they guarantee they will recycle the old t-shirt into a new one. So again, USP is incredibly important. I would challenge everybody listening here, whether you work for a business, you run your own store, you need to come up with something unique. And the best way to do that, which I'll come on to later as well, in my final point today, my fifth point, I'll come on to about talking to customers. But that's incredibly important to find your USP, find your fit. Again, please go back and listen to the last three or four episodes of the podcast, because I've had some store owners on here. I've had some advertising gurus and a few other people sharing some phenomenally good advice about this sort of thing. So there's loads of good resources on there. Again, it's free to listen to the podcast, so please go back and check those out. My next point, point three, my second point about how to gain new customers. So you've set up your store, you've got USP sorted, your product is amazing, and people just want to come back and keep buying it and that sort of thing. You now just need to get people into the top of the funnel. If you've got a USP, a good story, something that's quite striking, a problem that only your business and brand solve, then actually things like Facebook advertising, Google advertising, that sort of thing, are going to be incredibly exciting to you. Suddenly, you will be able to get the conversion rates that actually make you profit in that first order. And then when, when I come on to my next two points, you can start getting more money from then on. Because as soon as you've got a USP, then suddenly you've got a very specific set of niche keywords that less people are targeting because they can't. So one of your keywords now might be a lifetime guarantee t-shirt. And actually, if somebody's searching lifetime guarantee, and we do a lot of this in SEO and PPC, but if someone's searching lifetime guarantee t-shirt, I don't think they're only looking to spend 10 or 15 pounds or dollars or euros on that t-shirt. I'm going to hazard a guess, and some of the data I've, I've worked with over the years as well would, would suggest that I'm correct on this, that people probably have a little bit more money to spend as well, which now means you're working with bigger margins, that now means you're making more profit per order, which means you don't need as many orders to make as much money. So again, have a think about, it doesn't mean we all should just jump into the luxury market, but have a think about what is the perceived value of your product? How do you price it and all that sort of stuff? Because I think it's incredibly important to get that stuff lined up. And then once you've got all of that lined up, you take that story to market. You go on Google and say, right, we're going to advertise on Google. We're going to put $5,000 into this thing a month. We're going to advertise on Google for um, the keywords, lifetime guarantee products or products made from a specific material, like you know, recycled water bottles, something like that, or recycled plastic shoes, which is actually something I did search the other day. There are companies offering that sort of thing now. I recommend, highly recommend checking it out. But again, those niche keywords are going to be cheaper because everybody's trying to go after the word 
trainers. You know, if you could get the word trainers to be a profitable keyword on Google Ads, you've got millions of people globally looking for that word every single day. So if you can make profit, you'll scale your business in absolutely no time. The problem is I'm very, very sure you won't make profit from that overnight. That's going to take you sort of 10, 20 years, I think, to catch up with some of the, some of the big global players on, on those kind of keywords. So it gives you niche keywords. Your ads then become really simple. You target keywords like lifetime guarantee or the, you know, the specific USP you're targeting. You put in the ads. We offer lifetime guarantee t-shirts. from The t-shirt I bought as well, just for reference, was £20. So it wasn't actually that expensive as well. You run those ads, run the campaign as efficiently as possible, which again is the sort of thing that, that my team in here in London are doing. It's, it's not easy, but it's easier when you've got a better business and a more established set of USPs and better learnings, etc. It makes it a lot easier to make profit from that. So then customers come into your store and then you start buying stuff. And so I think getting your USPs right and then running some advertising is the simplest way to make this work. But again, just to emphasize, I think the USP bit is so lost from so many businesses I look at online. You know, we're talking to a company recently that make um, compostable, recycled uh, products. And the problem is there are like 10 other competitors that are making those same things. And not a lot of people know those products exist yet. So actually the search volumes on them are so low anyway. And even if you search those products, there's other people that, you know, one, one of them is an iPhone case. How many companies sell iPhone cases and how many are bidding on that on Google anyway? So a lot of those are coming up because of broad match keywords. So again, start with your USPs and then take that to market as an advertising campaign. That is how you're going to get people in. You might be wrong with your USPs and that sort of thing the first time. The advantage you've got, though, is you are thinking along those lines and you'll learn quite quickly what does work and what doesn't. I'll explain later how to do that and how to get those learnings. So on to point number four of five on this podcast. My last couple of points, points four and points five, are going to be specifically talking about how to get repeat orders, how to do some good learnings, or how to get some good learnings about what people actually like, what they don't like, how to get people to come back organically, and also a mechanism you can use to get them come back. So the first thing you want to look at is email. You've probably read a lot about email. You've probably seen a lot said about email. But honestly, I see businesses, even large online e-commerce companies, global businesses, international retailers, etc., making millions of dollars every week in revenue on their online stores, still have just that one person who works part-time in the corner who does email. Or the emails are just one email that goes out to absolutely everybody, and that's it. It's a really, really poor way of running an e-commerce business. What you've got the opportunity to do with email is to go from just a blanket newsletter, here are our latest offers and that sort of thing. And you'll probably find you make some money from that. You know, you probably find that there are um, a few people that do buy from it and, and that sort of thing. And it works quite well. But the way to get smarter with it, and it generally what depends on database size, but you want to try to work out how to segment your audience. The most obvious way to do it that I've seen over the years, and one thing that's been very, very profitable is to segment your database by what people have bought. So I'll give you a really good example of this. If you run a furniture business, so people come onto your site and they can buy sofas, lampshades, etc. Whatever they bought in their first order, what you now know about them is they don't need that item. So if they've come to you and bought a sofa, they're fine for sofas. They might need another one. And if they do, even an email without any sofas in might make them go, that sofa we bought the other day was great. Why don't we get a matching one? And they'll come back anyway. But ideally, you know, you know, in theory, you know that they don't need a sofa right now. But what they will, you know, they might replace the sofa in five years, 10 years time or something. But what you know they will need before they next replace that sofa in five or 10 years time is they will need every single other product that you sell. So they will need 
lampshades, table lamps, dining chairs, dining tables, all the other stuff you sell, they are going to need over that time period. So what you can do, your first email after they've bought products arrive, the first email could be a, could you leave us a review, please? Because that helps with SEO, it helps drive PPC because you get enough reviews, you get five gold stars in your, in your PPC ads and in, in your shopping ads and that kind of thing. So the first email should be, you know, hope you're enjoying your product. Could you leave us a review, please? And then provided those reviews are good, and I'll come on to that shortly, provided those reviews are good, you can then send them another email a few weeks or months later. So leave them a month or so and then say, did you know we also sell all this other stuff? And then you have links going through to your table lamps, lampshades, etc. And what you can start to do to get even more specific, and some email platforms will offer you this as an option now, is you can start to put what's called dynamic content into your emails. So dynamic content will automatically then go, okay, well, we've got collections of our products in Shopify. So there's a collection that's called the, I don't know, I'm going to make up a name, George Ralph. Say that George Ralph was a designer and George Ralph had designed a load of stuff and we'd put it into one big collection on Shopify. You can tell your emails through Shopify, um, which Shopify is a bit basic. MailChimp was quite good, but they've recently got rid of MailChimp in terms of the connection. So let's not talk too much about that. But a lot of email platforms will take that and say, well, look, if they've bought a sofa that was in this collection, we're going to be quite bold here and assume that they like that. So why don't we send them an email with a big lifestyle shot of the George Ralph collection? If George, again, I have no idea what George Ralph is. I just made that up as a as an example, but if George Ralph was an interior designer and had his own collection on this website, you could also put a big image that just says, this is the George Ralph collection. Would you be interested in buying anything else from here? With a big link saying, shop the collection. Because it's email, it costs absolutely nothing for you to send an email out. So you can get that email into their inbox for absolutely nothing, provided they've subscribed to marketing and that sort of stuff. But you can get that email into their inbox next to nothing. You can monitor how many people do click on it. You could even create two different versions of it. And most importantly, you can then monitor how many people then go through and make a purchase. So was that email successful? Yes or no? And you'll know within a few weeks of running that email campaign. So whatever item they bought from whatever collection or similar items you send out, similar but not the same, because we know they've got a sofa, but they might now want a table to go next to the sofa or a separate set of you know, cushions for the sofa and all that. sort. You can do all this with, you know, on the website in that first order. But ideally, you can then do this over email. And email costs next to nothing. And to the most profitable businesses we work with, email is probably pulling its weight at sort of somewhere between uh, 30 to 70% of all revenue in the business. It's that good. Most businesses that we first start working with, and most businesses that aren't doing this correctly, email might be somewhere between 1% and 15% of all turnover. And actually, that's not really starting to solve that main problem, is it? The main problem is that when people arrive at your site the first time, they've come from Google advertising and it's cost lots and lots of money per new customer that's come in. So the problem we're trying to solve here is to then get that, that, make that money worth it. So if it costs you $100 per new customer, which isn't a lot, I've seen much, much higher. But if it costs you $100 to get that first order in on average, and the average first order is $50, you've made a $50 loss just on the marketing, plus you've had to provide the actual product. So you've made a huge loss. So you need to make sure that email, email could still be profitable in that scenario because email could then get them five or six other orders. Or depending on your business, you could sell lots and lots of cheap products, you know, or cheaper products, smaller products. And if people like them, slowly nurture them over time about, you know, the top reasons to come back. And, you know, you recently bought a small lamp for $50 from us. Why not come back and buy a sofa for 1200 
you know, $1,200. And slowly nurture them over time about why your sofas are so good. As long as you don't bore them to death and they unsubscribe, you've got their attention there. So I think absolutely look at email and get email working harder for you. We don't specifically do that much with email at Parker and we certainly don't do the strategy bit of it. But there's lots of people out there that do. And the better they do with that, the better my business spec in London can do with your PPC because we have much, much higher cost per acquisition targets that we can start working on. Again, back to that water wheel, email is the thing that's going to keep that wheel spinning around and expanding. So the final point I've got today, and something that again is incredibly important, I certainly wouldn't take lightly, I would take this very, very seriously, is looking at other ways you can get people to make a repeat purchase. There was a really good example, actually, a couple of episodes ago, where I interviewed Dan from Unbound Merino. And he was talking about these pug face masks that he had bought um, online. And the buying journey was awful. The ones that arrived weren't quite right. He didn't even wear them. I think he said he threw them in the bin. And again, it's just a complete waste of time. And there's a business there that have worked so hard to get that first order in from him and then just completely let him down. If they hadn't let him down, and it's probably really simple, quick things to fix so he doesn't feel let down, then he might have come back and ordered some other ones. Or actually, if the product's good enough, the kind of, you know, certainly a face mask, a lot of people would say, where did you get that from? And you might say, oh, you should check out this shop. I'll, I'll text you a link. You know, and I, I do that sort of thing a lot. If I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very much a brand advocate that if I get a good experience somewhere, you know, I, I've always got the latest phone contracts, the latest devices, that kind of thing. You know, even now, my, my girlfriend wants to buy a new iPad Pro. And I instantly said to her, I was like, whoa, 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 wait, don't just buy it. You know, we might be able to get some good cash back on this. Or actually, we could look at some other stores to buy it from. Or, you know, why don't we go to this place? They've got extended warranty, but all oh, their price is a little bit steeper than everywhere else. Or actually, this one here comes in a bundle with the pencil, the magic keyboard, etc. So by taking a couple of weeks to make the buying decision, we've made a much better decision. And actually, the place we're probably going to buy it from actually has the best customer service and is not the cheapest. You know, actually, there are, buying, a, you know, buying an iPad Pro, they're not cheap devices, but they are portable. So you've instantly got a problem that you're carrying something very expensive around. So instantly, we're both slightly nervous about getting it from somewhere. If it's not got proper warranty, guarantee, probably want to get it insured. So if it does get stolen or we drop it off the side of a mountain one day, then uh, we can just go and get another one, you know. And again, people, people take this process. And so I think a lot of small Shopify stores that have approached us at, you know, at Parker and quite a few stores I've seen over the years or new stores that are popping up, they think that all I need to do is just focus on the brand. Brand is fine. Everyone's buying from us. And once they've bought from us, you know, we just send the product out. It's that simple. The brands that are doing well are the ones that you have tracked delivery. So as the delivery is going through, you can track every single step of the way. The ones that offer the best packaging, and certainly in this day and age, in the UK and across Europe, there is a massive wave of people wanting eco-friendly packaging. Plastic is dying at the moment. You know, I ordered a couple of new cups just for the office today. And even then, there was no plastic in there. It was all packaged in paper. You know, and I think I paid an extra £10 for that. The whole process from the quality of product to how the product's sent out, all that sort of stuff, more important now than ever. And if you get this stuff right and invest in how you send stuff out to the customer, then, you know, I, I can almost guarantee you will get more repeat business just organically. Again, those T-shirts I mentioned earlier, phenomenal quality. Lifetime, lifetime guarantee should have been their main USP, but it wasn't. You know, the USP at the time was a friend of mine saying, oh, they make really, really good quality products. I've had this t-shirt for 10 years. So the quality of products was there and that was given to me as a referral. I think the danger that a lot of brands come up to with this sort of stuff is they say, well, if we increase the price of the product and we provide better packaging, 
we then won't make any money. The problem we'll have is everything will be costing us so much that we'll have to double the price of the product to make, you know, even break even, that sort of thing, given the cost of marketing. But what I'm saying is if you focus on that second, third, fourth, fifth order, you know, if you can get every customer buying from you six, seven times a year, and that $10 of revenue becomes, say, 60 $60 of revenue paying 10 to get them in in the first place, well, that adds up. That's quite a bit of money. You know, that's certainly worth, you know, worth your time and a, and a good business to run. But if you're just focused on that first order, then all you'll see is £10 to get them in and £10 that it's cost you for the marketing with £10 revenue. And so the problem you've got is you'll look at it and say, well, we've made a loss. I've made no money as the business owner. It's cost us, you know, five or six pounds just to get the get the product on the shelf sort of thing. And I think, again, it's really, really important to focus on that quality and that customer journey and that customer experience. The best way to do this, well, um, we spoke about this uh, on the last podcast with Bright Pearl. And we also spoke about this a few episodes ago with OnState, who are an agency in the UK. So Bright Pearl and OnState had very similar comments on this, which I thought was, uh, was good because I never vet the speakers before in that sense. We, uh, <laughs> I know who they are and what we're talking about, but they're both the very, very similar feedback on this. And both of them said, look, get the customer journey nailed. Know where the order is at all times and make sure then you tell the customer where the order is at all times. And then once you've done that and they receive the product, they're all happy with it, etc. The best thing you can do next is actually to test your own shop. So you can send out feedback surveys to all of your customers just to say, you know, what did you like? What did you not like? Uh, what was good about the experience with us? What was bad? Did your product arrive on time? Was it packaged well? Could it have been packaged better? And 99% of the time, if there's any, if there's a huge amount of plastic in the packaging, you'll always get the feedback that there was a lot of plastic and I didn't really like that. And as I mentioned earlier, if you find out that from just one or three or four customers, that's enough learning for you guys to go away and go, well, let's change the packaging. And what else could we do now that we've changed the packaging? So it's not just an extra cost. Well, some of the things you could do with packaging or the delivery times, et cetera, is you could start adding that information to your product pages. So I've seen quite a few places now that when you're ordering a product or you look at the product page itself on the website, you know, where it's got the price and the add to cart and that sort of thing. When you're looking at that, I've even seen some now that have a flat spread. So which is where they've got a white surface and they've put out every single thing that's going to arrive in this package. So they've, you know, if it's, a, if it's an iPhone, you would have the phone itself, the charging cable, the charging block, all the different bits of packaging that sit around this as well, the box that it arrives in, even that little metal thing you use to get the SIM card out, you know, that you poke in the side, even that would be on there. And they'd all be nicely laid out, perfectly straight lines between each one, etc. But then it just, in terms of customer service, you know exactly what you're getting. Little bits of content like that are the difference between somebody paying $100 and $110. So actually that packaging might only cost $2.00 but you've increased the overall cost of it because people feel like they're doing something good for the environment. Um, another store I want to reference quickly, I'm pretty sure they're on Shopify. I'm not affiliated with them at all. I've just been a customer. That's all I've done. There's a company called Ten Tree, and they're a really, really cool business. And I recommend going to check them out. I have actually reached out to them and asked somebody if they want to come on the show because I've been such a fan of the way they run their business. But something they do on there that I think is so good is that they plant trees and they have this counter Last time I checked it, it was, I think it was just over a million trees this small business had planted. And I think, I think it's quite a small company, but they've started a shipping internationally and they plant trees every single time you order. The stuff's not cheap, but then you, you're kind of okay with that because you're helping with the environment at the same time. Again, USP, 
quality of product, the emails I get from them after I've ordered as well have been really, really cool. Almost like I'm now part of this community that's planting trees. And again, it keeps me engaged. It keeps me wanting to recommend the business. And here I am on the podcast talking specifically about them with no affiliation with them whatsoever. So I would certainly recommend some customer surveys, uh, maybe even call up some of your customers, do some test orders on your site as well. So literally go onto your store on an incognito browser on, on Google Chrome or something or on a spare phone if you've got one at home. Go on your store, buy a product, go through the shopping cart journey, writing down all the stuff that's not great on there. Order a product. You know, you can set up a 100% discount code, do it as a test order, but order a product and then actually ship that product physically. Go to the post office or, you know, or wherever you send it out from. Go and ship it and see what happens as it arrives. And then go back through that entire process. So every time you get another email saying your product is with your local depot, it'll be arriving at your office today or your home today, etc. Look at that email and say, right, how can we change that? And how does that differ from some of the stores that I absolutely love? And again, doing some guest checkout, I think, and, and talking to customers is the biggest way that you can make a difference. Just for reference on that, I'll give you a quick case study of how I've been doing that recently is since I've come into to Just Ask Parker, I've been talking to a lot of our old customers, especially the ones that weren't happy. And I found a common theme. And I'm going to make a quick announcement now about something that's changing at Parker in the next couple of months. But the common theme was that people just said to us, they said, I just wanted to talk to a human. You know, the quality of work was fine. It was really well priced. It helped me out a lot. You know, it got a lot of easy jobs done. And I could have found these people on Fiverr or freelancer, but I also wouldn't even know what to get them to do. Whereas Parker just had the tasks there. I just chose the task I wanted. That was great. But I just wanted to talk to somebody. You know, I wasn't happy with, with one thing that was designed. The design was fine. I just wanted a change. But I, you know, I asked about it and I didn't know who to talk to and that kind of thing. Now, now I just asked Parker, we do have a whole account management team that look after you know, every time a task comes in, it's checked, somebody does it. It's also checked by one of the senior guys in, uh, you know, in London or in the US before it goes back out, you know, so we have quite a good quality control process. But I thought, you know what, this is all about perceived value. So none of those people had sent us an email or gone on live chat. And the initial reaction I got from the team at Just Ask Parker was, well, they've not even made any effort to talk to us. And I get that. I, I, I get that. But again, I'm trying to look at this from a customer point of view and thinking, well, you know, from a customer's point of view, I shouldn't have to, you know, reach out and talk to you on live chat. And if I send you a support ticket, I feel like I'm complaining, you know, and I don't want to complain. I just wanted a little thing changed. So what we're going to do, and this is the little announcement, which, uh, you know, which will come into fruition in the next, uh, in the next few months, we're working on quite a big revamp again, as I keep mentioning, um, but we're now going to include in, in most of our packages, a consultant catch up. So a consultant in the UK or the US, something like that. And the idea of that is not going to be anything drastic or extreme or even long-winded. It's not going to take a huge amount of our time to do. We've just restructured it. So the way our services work, works a bit better for our customers. So if they just want to have a quick chat with somebody, just to go over, you know, what task do you think I should do? Or I've got a question and, you know, a task, any of the tasks in your system isn't going to solve this. I've just got a quick question. You can ask that account manager. So some of them will include just a quick welcome call. You'll agree what tasks to do. Some of them will include task plans. So one of the big bits of feedback I got is, I just want to talk to somebody because I didn't know what task to do next. You know, so yes, Park is great in terms of doing stuff for me, but I don't really know what I want done next. So again, we're putting in welcome calls. We've got the task plans that people can go and use and that sort of thing. But the, the ultimate thing that I think is the biggest thing that came out of all of that feedback idea was that I just want to talk to someone, someone that can go, look, 
these are the five things you need to nail in this business. And what I did before we made that decision is I, I said, right, the next five clients that come in, I will do the welcome calls. You know, even if they've not got welcome calls and think, I'll do those. And that's, you know, it's a lot of my time to put into that. I've got a million other things I'd rather be doing. But actually, I learned more on those, those 10 minute calls. Most of them went on for over an hour. And I was just learning, learning, learning from them. What do they love? What do they not love? Writing it all down. So again, I think reach out to your customers and talk to them. You will learn so much so quickly. Feel free as well. Some of the feedback we did get, I sort of sat there scratching my head a little bit thinking, okay, that's not our problem. You know, someone was saying, oh, but you know, like then this happened and we just couldn't afford the service anymore. And it's like, well, that's out of our control. You know, there's nothing. So don't feel like you have to take every single piece of advice, you know, as absolute gold dust. I have to do this next. But certainly take it on board and say, right, what does this feedback tell us? What do we think their problem was? Is there anything? And often the, the fixes to these things are so quick. So one store we worked with a while ago said, we, we actually increased customer reordering by 30%. So 30% of their customers now made at least a second order, if not more, 30% more than previously, just by sending them a text message on the day when their item was arriving. That simple. Just, send, just sending a text message saying, your item's going to arrive today. We hope you love it. If you've got any issues, let us know. You know, but we hope you love it. Little things like that, just these guys, you know, even though that's an automated thing and those text messages cost, you know, five cents, 5p per text that goes out, absolute peanuts. And their email system actually did it automatically. So their email system would just fire, they just literally ticked a box, wrote the message and bam, all done. Again, super quick fix, but they found that actually people then started ordering the second order after that. I've been talking for nearly 45 minutes now, and I hope this has been useful for you guys. Um, again, if you want to support the show or ask any questions, recommend any podcast ideas, that sort of thing, please go and check out our Facebook group, which is Winning with Shopify. You can just search that up on Facebook or on Google and probably, probably find it quite quickly. And also, we are reaching a point as well where we, we're looking for new guests. So we've been turning a lot of people away over the last sort of three or four months, but looking for new guests for the podcast. So if you've got something you want to share, you know, I may regret announcing this because last time I did, I got 400 emails. But um, I hope um, I hope there's some people out there. If you you know if you feel like you've got a, a cool platform you want to share, or a cool app, or you're a store owner and want to share your journey, I'd love to interview, have you on the show, and that sort of thing. So please feel free to reach out to us. Um, I think there's an email address on our website or something, but uh, yeah, go and check that out. Send us an email, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can do. But thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again next week. I hope you're staying well during everything that's going on at the moment. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Sign up for free for the Shopify-approved marketing course at 1000salesandbeyond.com and get our show notes at justaskparker.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the Winning with Shopify podcast. See you next time.